It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I think I better talk pretty softly here because uh, I'm at the Washington Bureau and I've got a whole bunch of pre-tapes and interviews today. And if I use up my voice at the normal level on this podcast, I might be in big trouble. So um, I don't know. Could we uh, just kind of whisper to each other? Uh, All right. I guess I got to jack it up just a little bit. Today, I am just crazed. (laughs) I'll just be honest. I got like 475 things to do, including making 472 changes to Media Buzz, which I always remind you, Sunday morning, 11 Eastern, hope you have the chance to watch on Fox. Uh, And I got a whole bunch of stuff to get through here. And (laughs) let me start with this. Uh, Also since you're a person who doesn't have to do this, I hope you have a great weekend coming up, especially now where everyone's getting into the holiday spirit, which also means a lot of people are leaving town, which is making it harder to book this show. But enough about me. Let's talk about Twitter. (laughs) Let me dive in here with story number one. And let me say, the whole thing is just blowing up right now. And I have been, as anybody who's listened to this podcast even a few times knows, a pretty strong defender of Elon Musk. Today, I am not going to defend Elon Musk. Uh, He has created, I think the technical term would be S-show. Of course, he knows how to press the buttons. He's very Trumpian in this way. Elon Musk knows how to press the buttons that will spark a big uh, reaction from journalists who, after all, I mean, who's more important than us? (laughs) We're so self-centered. We're so self-obsessed. Uh, and self-indulgent, that when he pokes journalists, then journalists react, and that makes for traffic on Twitter. So in that sense, he knows what he's doing. But I have described him frequently as an erratic genius. And today, he's looking a lot more erratic than he is with the genius part. Now, look, the caveat is mainstream media beating up on Elon Musk ever since he said he might buy Twitter, when he did buy Twitter, when he backed out of buying Twitter, and when he then was forced to buy Twitter. Basically saying he's ruined it, it's awful, it's terrible, I'm getting off, well, I'll stay on for a while and see how it goes, you know, that kind of thing. But the problem that Elon Musk has today with the suspending of a number of journalists, and we'll get to all the details in just a moment, is that... um, He is the free speech champion. And the appearance, and maybe the reality, but the appearance is that he is going after people, media people, who criticize him. And you can't have it both ways. I mean, he often says, fine, spend all day criticizing me, but there's certain things you can't do. And there's a certain aspect that's where he has a point. But... Since about a half dozen of these journalists were suspended and, it's, and he didn't explain why and they weren't given a reason and it's not clear whether some of them or all of them engage in what Musk calls doxing. You know what doxing is. 
it would be, for example, if you print somebody's home address. So they would not feel safe and people would go harass them. Well, the Muskian version of doxing is publishing information about his private jet and where it's going. Now, we talked about some of this where he went after the guy, the uh, college sophomore, Jack Sweeney, for publishing real-time information about his private jet. And he said you could publish it with a delay and explain what the delay was. And I'm sympathetic to that. You know, as I said the other day, if you were, if you and your family were getting on a regular plane and somebody, and you had people who didn't like you and somebody posted that, you, you wouldn't be crazy about it. Okay. But let's go into the New York Times and Washington Post coverage. And of course, this is a big story because New York Times and Washington Post journalists are among those who've been suspended. Although by the time you hear this, they may be unsuspended. It's really hard to follow. Musk has gone back and forth and back and forth. So um, Twitter has suspended the accounts, as I said, of uh, a bunch of journalists. These include, let me clear my throat, Ryan Mack of The New York Times, Drew Harwell of The Washington Post, Aaron Rupar, an independent journalist, Donnie Sullivan of CNN, Matt Binder of Mashable, Tony Webster, independent journalist, Michael Lee of The Intercept, and Keith Olbermann, who, you know, he's described in this piece as a political journalist. I mean, he's a commentator and uh, who posts pretty extreme stuff, but I don't know what Olbermann did or didn't do. It was unclear, says the Times, what the suspensions had in common. You just get this, you violated Twitter rules. By the way, I'm still on Twitter. I like it. I hope I can keep my account. Um, So this came after Twitter suspended uh, about 25 accounts. Many of them, but not all of them, operated by this 20-year-old guy, Jack Sweeney, uh, tracking planes. Not just the Musk plane, but, you know, celebrities, billionaires, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what the fascination is, but apparently these things have a following. Um, so, moving right along here, you know, the, what, what made this sort of a red alert was when it, what Musk described as a crazy stalker uh, jumped on the hood of a car carrying his two-year-old son, thinking Elon was inside, in Los Angeles. Anyway, some of the journalists whose accounts were suspended had written about the accounts that tracked the private planes or had tweeted those accounts. So this is sort of the guilt by association thing. If you tweet about those accounts, then, you know, you're linking to it or you're providing an invitation to an account that Musk feels is jeopardizing his family's safety and Twitter's rules on doxing. And he said, look, this applies to journalists as well as everyone else. Okay, now we have the reaction of these organizations. And let's just say they are not exactly happy. Okay, spokesman for the New York Times, suspension of Twitter accounts of a number of prominent journalists, including Ryan Mack, is unfortunate. Neither the Times nor Ryan have received any explanation about why this occurred. We hope that all the journalists' accounts are reinstated and the Twitter provides a satisfying explanation. Well, that's pretty restrained. CNN spokeswoman 
said the suspensions were concerning but not surprising and that Twitter's increasing instability and volatility should be of incredible concern for everyone who uses it. And then Donnie O'Sullivan went on CNN and said Twitter's actions could intimidate journalists who cover companies owned by Musk. Remember, there's also Tesla, et cetera. Now, here's a little side note. After um, Jack Sweeney was suspended from Twitter, this is the plane tracking guy, he went to Mastodon, which a lot of people are seeing as an alternative social network. After Mastodon used Twitter to promote Sweeney's new account, Twitter suspended Mastodon's account. So this is kind of feeling like, uh, you know, six degrees of separation. If you go somewhere else and if they tweet it, I don't know. It certainly is getting a lot of attention. Here is the Washington Post write-up. Um, noting maybe this was posted later because it says Elon Musk accused the reporters, and I went back and checked all his latest tweets, of posting, quote, basically assassination coordinates for him and his family. Well, that's pretty heavy language. The Post has seen no evidence that any of the reporters did so. Suspensions became without warning. Many of the journalists suspended, including the Washington Post tech reporter Drew Harwell, have been covering the rule change about doxing, as well as Musk's claims that he and his family have been endangered. Musk tweeted, criticizing me all day long is totally fine, but doxing my real-time location and endangering my family is not. Post says Harwell was banished from Twitter without warning, process, or explanation following the publications of his actual or accurate, excuse me, reporting about Musk. Our journalists should be reinstated immediately. Now, it was unclear because several of the, and I'm sorry if this is sort of scattered, but this is the way it unfolded in real time. It's the real picture here is just not clear. So I'm gonna tell you everything I know and try to piece the puzzle shards together. Okay, so late yesterday, Elon Musk said, well, the suspensions will last a week, which, you know, doesn't make it right, but doesn't seem off the wall. However, several of the reporters told they were banned permanently. So which is it, Elon? Banning permanently, lasting a week? Okay, so then, and this is a classic must move that we should all be familiar with by now. Um, he puts up a Twitter poll on whether he should reestate the accounts. Now, I looked at that Twitter poll. And one of them was now and one of them was later. And what was described as the final result, now one. 43% said they should be reinstated now. And I think it was like 37 or 38% which said later. So if those are the final results, maybe... He's in the process of putting them back, reinstating the accounts. But I don't know, this whole thing of like governing by polls, what if the majority or plurality of people in the polls said, you know, the journalist should be hung? Uh, Harwell said, you're suggesting that we're sharing your address, which is not true. Oh, I see. So he went on one of these chats. It's called Twitter Spaces, where it's like a real-time press conference almost. And Drew Harwell of the Washington Post got on, and he challenged Musk. You're suggesting we're sharing your address. Musk said, you posted a link to the address. 
Farwell said in the course of reporting on at Elon Jet, we posted a link to at Elon Jet. And then Musk got off the call after about four minutes. So he wasn't enjoying that exchange. Now, let me just tell you something here about Elon Musk, about Drew Harwell and Elon Musk. Let me just find this because I got it on my phone because I couldn't copy and paste it. Oh, the things we go through here. Okay, so Musk posted, or somehow I'm able to see this, a, a, an email that Drew Harwell, the Washington Post guy, sent him. And he said uh, in the following, um, oops, sorry, I'm trying to expand it so I can read it. Okay, um, he says, and here's the relevant part, talks about various people who've been banned or suspended, I don't know. Any thoughts from you? It's like a request for comment. Any thoughts from you we can include in our story? What do you think about QAnon? Oh, it has to do with QAnon's presence on Twitter. Do you believe this stuff? Or is this just you owning the libs? Trolling people, mucking things up, getting attention, as some of your top allies tell us. So let's just say, to be diplomatic about it, that Drew Harwell's getting in Elon's face with this. You really believe this stuff? And then Musk wrote something like LOL or some brief response. Okay. So what are people saying on the air? Well, here's Don Lemon on CNN on the morning show saying, you know, we're talking about it. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, uh, everybody's going to be reinstated. And it's a whole Trump thing where you own the news cycle for the next 24 hours and then you do something else that is hyperbolic and outrageous. And then you own the news cycle. Well, you know, leaving aside the comparison to Donald Trump, a lot of this is about Musk getting reactions, stirring outrage, and driving traffic to Twitter. That's the part of it that's left out. Um, meanwhile, some Tesla investors are calling for Musk to appoint a new CEO because Tesla stock has been dropping. There may be multiple reasons for this, but some of it has to do with Elon, the perception that Elon's sleeping at Twitter and spending all his time. And what about his electric car company? So uh, Musk tweeted that I will make sure Tesla shareholders benefit from Twitter long term. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. All right, number two. So you remember Barry Weiss. Uh, she is the woman uh, who, was, along with Matt Taibbi, was tapped by Elon Musk to tweet a lot of the, to, to go through a lot of the Twitter files. And she has now posted a whole thoughtful response, which challenges Musk a little bit, at her new site, the one she's launched with her wife, also a previous New York Times person, uh, called the Free Press. And she says, look, you know, I was uh, having dinner. I got a text from Musk. Uh, would I possibly be interested in looking into Twitter archives. How soon can I get there? Two hours later, I'm on a flight from L.A. to San Francisco with my wife and our three-month-old baby. Now, that's dedication. And she talks about her whole team. They're in a windowless room, and she describes basically what happens. 
The only condition was that the findings be posted first on Twitter. Uh, and then it went to the free press. So she goes through and says, look, uh, you know, this was hard work. We didn't selectively retrieve or cherry pick files with an eye towards servicing a particular agenda. Our goal was simply to figure out what had happened at crucial moments. Now, what was Musk's goal in asking us to exhume the Twitter files? Uh, these are harder questions. He says his motivation is obvious. It's about saving the world. Uh, he says he wants to transform Twitter um, into a platform widely trusted by most Americans. Barry Weiss goes on to say that Musk is a South African native, and he, you know, when she's talking to him while she's there, uh, and his two-year-old son is hanging around, he described this as the crime scene. And he said it's kind of like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. You know, let's dig into the past and find out. Then they found those T-shirts that say stay woke. And Musk joked, the barbarians have crashed through the gates and are pillaging the merch. So some of this is just amusing behind the scenes. Look, but I want to get to the good stuff here. And I'm just sort of skimming real quick. So bear with me. Uh, Musk said he found Twitter in, non, in disarray. He said he had purchased it as a nonprofit. He's fired 80% of the staff. Uh, some engineers have been working 18-hour days for the past month. They looked it, says Barry Weiss. And she goes on to say this. What's surprising in what she found is how thoroughly Twitter misled the public, insisting they didn't suppress disfavored users and topics when they absolutely did. She says that uh, when, when what did... Elon Musk mean when he said his favorite pronouns were prosecute Fauci. Lots of people thought it was hilarious. Many others thought it was horrifying. Certainly not apolitical. Doesn't that take us back to where we were before? Well, good for Barry Weiss. Uh, again, she goes on to talk about the doxing. She goes on to talk about Musk having business interests in China. Could he wind up suppressing ne information negative to China to please the Chinese Communist Party? So she's throwing out a bunch of questions to hold Elon Musk to account. She says, if I took anything away from my week at Twitter, it's about power. It's about how a handful of unelected people and a handful of private companies can influence public discourse profoundly. They can do it because of how good the tools they made are and how little the public understands them. Um... At what point I ask Musk what he makes of this criticism, that just as the old guard at Twitter has too much power, so does he. I'm open to ideas, he said. She said, look, Twitter's former leadership curtailed public debate and gaslit ordinary Americans. Musk says he won't do that. We'll see. Okay, number three. Remember yesterday I was talking about Donald Trump put on Truth Social, major announcement. And all the chatter, it was like, okay, he's going to jumpstart his campaign. Uh, maybe he's dropping out. Uh, maybe he's doing this. Maybe he's doing that. Maybe he's announcing a tour. Maybe he's giving a speech. And I said, maybe he's announcing his running mate. Okay. Well, as you might have heard, the major announcement turned out to be the following. 
My official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. These limited edition cards feature amazing art of my life and career. Collect all your favorite Trump digital trading cards, very much like a baseball card, but hopefully much more exciting. The $99 digital NFT card, part of a market that has lost much of its value. Uh, well, let's just say it got a lot of mockery. Even Joe Biden, who's not usually too snarky on his Twitter account said, I had some major announcements, too, the last couple of weeks. Inflation's easing. I just signed the Respect for Marriage Act. We brought Brittany Griner home. Gas prices are lower than a week ago. 10,000 new high-paying jobs in Arizona. Okay. Um, look, I think this was a disaster for Donald Trump, not because it brought him mockery. He doesn't care about that. But because... He actually ended up posting something that could make him money. So what about the campaign? Where's the campaign? Is he uh, giving any speeches, put on any policy stuff? What happened to the campaign as opposed to selling digital cards? I don't know. I mean, I think it reinforces a lot of stereotypes about Donald Trump that are not necessarily in his favor. One thing I also did see, however, is that Trump's going to give a speech— according to a person close to him, to the annual President's Conference of Torah Umasora at his club in Miami, National Doral. Um, this brings together Jewish leaders, educators, social workers, promoting Torah-based religious education. Now, if you don't think that this is a kind of a makeup call for the dinner with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, let's just see I'm here to... Correct, that omission. Uh, Also here, speaking of polls, here's an actual Fox News poll about the two, I guess you'd call them leading contenders for 2024. Want Biden to run again in 2024 among Democrats? Yes, 63%. That's up 12 points from July when it was 51%. No, Democrats who don't want Biden to run again, 33%. Similar question asked of Trump, who, of course, is already a declared candidate. Glad that Trump is running again. This is asked of Republicans. 66% glad he's running. 31% are not glad. So if you just look at the two negative figures, 31% of Republicans not happy. Donald Trump trying to get another term in the White House. 33% of Dems not happy that 80-year-old Joe Biden wants to run again. About the same. Um, very interesting. But it's clearly a boost for Biden because, look, Biden's had, with the bipartisan legislation, including the same-sex marriage, which got a bunch of Republican votes and other things that he's passed, the CHIPS Act, the Helping Veterans Act, um, gun safety measures and so forth, um, and the midterms, of course, a little more popular. Oh, and by the way, Going back to what I was just talking about, Trump posting the digital trading card things. Steve Bannon on his War Room podcast. I can't do this anymore, says Bannon. He's one of the greatest presidents in history. But I got to tell you, whoever, what business partner and anybody on the comms team and anybody at Mar-a-Lago, and I love the folks down there, but we're at war. They ought to be fired today. I think it's safe to say Bannon thought this was a dumb move. All right, story number four. Politico has a piece about Kevin McCarthy, who, as you probably know, 
is trying to put together enough votes to overcome the five negative votes or more to become the next House Speaker. Well, Politico says this, even the struggle is threatening to incapacitate Republicans during this crucial period. Now, I think this will all be forgotten once it's all sorted out, but Politico does a kind of a deep dive and says, you know, one of the things McCarthy did was he punted on the races for other committee leadership slots, which are supposed to be voted on on January 3rd. Now, why did he do this? Well, that could help insulate him from disgruntled members who fall short in those contests. But it also means days, if not weeks, of uncertainty for the GOP committees because they got to figure out, like, who the chairman are going to be now that they will be in the majority. Some of the most important panels won't be able to prepare bills or tee up hearings or even hire staff till we figure out who the hell is going to be the speaker. While some House committees have uncontested uh, leaders, those chairs won't be able to choose their member lineup, like who's serving on these committees, or potentially pay staff. The GOP's subpoena power will be frozen. Well, I don't know how long these delays will last, but it does seem like it kind of gums up the works. Now, the decision to punt on this isn't a surprise because, look, Kevin McCarthy may be doing this for leverage. He wants to lock down support. Let's just say Republican congressman so-and-so wants to be the chairman of Ways and Means or Oversight or whatever. And maybe others do too. So he, it's something, it's a chit that he could promise somebody. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was a master at this when she needed to pick up some extra votes. Um, some Republicans are saying, well, you know, it's uh, understandable. And others are saying, Here's one uh, conservative congressman who's saying, look, it's appropriate because if someone else ends up being the House Speaker, priorities may shift. I think we're looking at a bunch of gridlock here anyway. Um, but that's the political take. Paralysis on Capitol Hill, because we're so unfamiliar with any paralysis on Capitol Hill. I mean, who would expect that from our elected representatives? Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Okay. Number five, and I'm just going to read this stuff to you because it's just so friggin' amusing. So yesterday on the podcast, I talked about the Harry and Meghan, uh, I would say, most aggressive, nastiest episode, the one in which they talked about um, how poorly they felt they were treated um, by the royal family. But also, you know, the big screaming match that took place where Prince William, Will and Kate, Will in particular, was going against Harry. And this was they made a pact and they were going to never sort of use their press offices to um, go after each other. And then it's precisely what Will did, says Harry. I'm sure Will has his own version of this. It was really a, a finger in the eye to leading members of the royal family. Well, now... We have the real-time reaction from the UK tabloids. And I have to say before I start this, you know, one of the things I admire about the Brits, this is both in politics and question time in Parliament and the media folks there, just because it's so friggin' amusing, is they are so good at the art of the insult. They are so... Erudite, it seems. Maybe it's the accent uh, when they want to just take somebody down. So here, Daily Mail 
guy named Dan Wooten. Here's the headline, big headline on the front of the Daily Mail website. Gutless Harry has accused his brother William of bullying him out of the royal family without a scrap of evidence to advance this ugly family feud. No matter how he deludes himself, Diana would be ashamed of her youngest. I mean, you know, my eyes just popped out of my head. He's saying, look, you'd like to hold up your mother as this icon. She would be ashamed of you if she was alive today. I think that's really unfair, in my own humble opinion. Okay, so he goes on to say, Dan Wooten does, that um, Monday, January 6, 2020, the communications secretary for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex is on the phone to me, briefing against other members of the royal family as I prepare to publish my world exclusive, revealing the couple's bombshell plan to Megxit. I have been sitting on the story for over a week. It was not leaked to me by King Charles's office. After Harry sent him an email admitting he was prepared to lose his title in order to be set free from the monarchy and earn his fortune. As the Duke of Delusion <laughs> claimed today in his Netflix orgy of victimhood and distortion. Uh, after meeting with the couple, the staffer explained to me that Harry and Meghan made the decision following the release of a Christmas picture of the Queen with Charles, William, and George, which they believe was a sign that they will not be a central part of the royal family. It's an example, he says, of the conversations that go on all the time between royal courtiers and journalists who are working on true stories in the public interest. This sort of briefing by palace PRs that Harry claims resulted in him quitting Britain, trashing his own family, calling his brother a bully, um, having sat through all six hours of the dirty Netflix, Netflix hit job, I now pity Harry and Meghan even more. They're a toxic and deeply unhappy couple. How does he know that? So caught up in their own fantasy of being chronic victims, despite living a life of unimaginable privilege, that they're prepared to lose the people who really love them in favor of sycophants and celebrities. Um, the communications teams he speaks of actually spent hundreds of hours making legal and regulatory threats to keep true stories about Harry and Meghan out of the papers. Bloody well take that. All right, here's The Sun, another London tabloid. Prince William may ban Prince Harry and Meghan Markle from coming to Charles's coronation because of the Netflix docu-series, a royal expert has claimed. So this stinging headline is just yeah, some, some royal guy says this. He doesn't know. This is, this is speculation. Royal biographer Angela Levin believes the Duke of Sussex used the show to drag his brother through the mud. And the Prince of Wales won't stand for it. Okay, Piers Morgan in his column. Now, Piers is just the master of invective. There's nobody on the planet better at trashing people. You know, he loved Donald Trump until he trashed Donald Trump, and here we go. There's not much more to say, says Piers, about these ruthless, greedy, fame-hungry, social-climbing piece of work who played the royal family like a viola. Their unquenchable, excuse me, their unquenchable craving for barreling her way into the news cycle. Okay, that's just about Meghan. Now, as far as her and Prince Harry's nauseating, tawdry, staggeringly narcissistic Netflix reality series, well, Meghan finally grasps a tiny semblance of self-awareness when she quotes a palace staffer uh, as describing her as a foreign organism 
that infiltrated the monarchy. I'd say she was more of a virus and a particularly virulent one. Meghan got what she wanted, global celebrity, a ton of money, and a royal title. She's just a divorced American C-list actress now gleefully playing the role of her life. Made my stomach churn. Wait, there's more. You would think that he, you know, would finally call a halt. No, 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 no. Harry is described here as the horribly privileged halfwit. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, After enduring this whole series, the main reason they've been so determined to protect their privacy is because they wanted to sell it themselves. They're causing mounting damage to an institution that they happily trade off while they berate, smear, and diminish it. This is cowardly, treacherous, and despicable. All right. Just as a writer, I have to admire the turns of phrase. I mean, this is so over the top. Uh, You know, this is so mean-spirited and cruel that it's just, okay. Carry on. Uh... My, my British attack dogs. Uh, and, of course, what does this do? It helps get clicks for Piers Morgan. It helps the tabloid sell papers. Everybody is part of the game. And with that, hope you guys have a great weekend coming up. Thank you for sharing these moments with me. Hope you'll catch Media Buzz on Sunday. I got to catch my breath because, as I say, I go back to that guy. should have just done it like this, right? But we'll see you back here Monday. With more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.